You've survived the worst. Trauma, loss, rejection. The reality is, your pain can be a crutch, or it can be the thing that launches you. You're listening to the Purpose Through Pain podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you experience true freedom and breakthrough. Tune in each week as guests share their incredible life lessons from their personal stories and hear from experts who can give you the tools you need to stop surviving and start thriving. Here to help you find purpose through your pain is your host, Joseph James. Hey, everyone, and welcome to another great show of Purpose Through Pain podcast. I have an amazing guest. All my guests are amazing. Michelle Jewsberry, she is an international philanthropist. I'm surprised I was able to say that word right. Speaker and author that has traveled the world as an advocate for the less fortunate. In July of 2017, Michelle founded her nonprofit called Unsilenced Voices, an organization focused around inspiring change in communities around the globe by encouraging victims to break free of violence and sexual assault. She is a victim of domestic abuse herself, and she has been sharing her story throughout the world in other countries, and that's what prompted her to start this. I met this amazing lady just a week ago, I think in Vegas at a speaking event, and we just connected right away. I got to hear her story and it just resonated with me on the things that I've shared and being in an abusive family, uh, growing up in something that I didn't choose to be in, but I fell victim to. And then also, of course, watching my dad and my wife die all within 22 days of each other and finding my purpose through pain. And ultimately... That's what Michelle is doing. So Michelle, thank you so much and welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Joseph. So yeah, so honored to have you. So glad that we were able to connect. Michelle, I mean, I've got to hear a little bit of your story, but this, I, I have to go back and ask the question of your background. When you found yourself in this, uh, this, uh, domestic relationship or this violent relationship, this abusive relationship, does this go back to any family history at all? Does this go back to being raised in a violent home or being treated a certain way? No, not at all. So I grew up in a very loving home with a loving mom and dad, and I never actually saw my mother or father raise their hand or fist to each other, rarely ever heard them getting to an argument. So I wasn't raised in a, in a home where I experienced any type of domestic violence or abuse. And when I found myself trapped in an abusive situation, I had no idea what I was facing. I didn't realize that this was the beginning stages of domestic violence, that uh, me staying with my abuser, Paul, for four years was detrimental to mental health, physical health, yes, but mental health as well. So it was a big shock to me, a big shock to my family and my friends around me. Wow. So at what age were you when you got into this relationship? Yeah, so let me give you a little history about who I am. Um, I was born in a small town in North Idaho and moved around my whole life. My daddy was military, so grew up there, grew up in Vermont, moved to Hawaii and moved back to Idaho and graduated high school. And when I had graduated high school, I wanted to re 
job. And my mom was working in a restaurant at that time. So she trained me in the restaurant industry. And I worked my way from hostess to, to server to manager under, and I loved it that I wanted something even more. And that something even more when I was that young was to move to Hollywood, California and be a movie star. So that's what I did. I packed up my bags and put everything that I had in my car, clothes and shoes primarily, <laughs> and drove all the way down to Hollywood from North Idaho. And I loved it. And things were going on. I was starring in independent plays. Films. And a few years later, I was introduced or reintroduced to somebody that we'll call Paul, who um, I had done a multi-level marketing business and he was referred to me by an upline actually. And we were just friends for a while and then uh, connected and then reconnected. And in 2011, he ended up reconnecting with me via a uh, an email and saying, Hey, are you single? Where are you live? What's going on? And I said, Hollywood and pursuing acting. And so he pursued me and he sent me flowers and, and gifts and sent me beautiful text messages, morning and night, good morning and, and good, good night, beautiful. And um, about four months into that relationship was the first sign of physical violence. And like I said, I didn't, I didn't realize that was abuse. I had no idea. I was young. It was 2011. So that's almost 10 years ago. I'm going to age myself. That was 28 years old. And um, I ended up staying for four years. Wow. And during those four years, it was psychological manipulation, physical violence, sexual abuse, financial abuse, and a lot of power and control. So um, it's crazy. Yeah. Upon leaving, I, I documented what happened to me. And when I started to document, it came out in a play format. So I ended up performing a 65 minute solo play in 2016 about my experience in domestic violence. And that's when people started coming up to me and telling me their stories of abuse and their friends and family members, brother, sister, neighbor. And um, that's when I knew I had to do more. So in 2017 was when Unsilenced Voices was founded. Wow, wow. Well, congratulations definitely on Unsilenced Voices and the ability to be able to reach, you know, and take your message to the world. But let me, let me go back a little bit. You know, when you, you know, he's wooing you and on you and, 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 and bringing, you know, doing all these things that who in a relationship wouldn't want, you know, but you said mm -hmm. that the first act of violence was four months into this. Can you, yeah. can, can you tell me about that a little bit? Yeah, of course. So at that point, he the relationship uh, rapidly. So the process of moving in with him and he, uh, he and I got into an argument and he pushed me so hard against the drywall that my head went through it. And I remember forward and looking at the drywall behind me and just thinking to myself, I need to patch this so nobody sees it. I didn't think to myself that I was in danger. And that's that was the first stage and it was a lot of control and manipulation leading up to that and the fact that I had known him for years prior just as acquaintances um, I, I really didn't believe that it would propel the relationship to where it ended up being yeah so let me ask you a question this is to help me understand this comes across with no judgment but you know how does one not realize at that moment that that was physical violence and that you need to get out. 
what what's going on? Is it the attachment of I'm already emotionally involved? I'm already in love with this person. This person may never do this again. Where's the psychology on this right here? So why do people stay is what you're asking. Yeah, yourself. ultimately, yeah. Yeah, so uh, unfortunately, there's a cycle in domestic violence, and it goes from walking on eggshells to a big blow up to an apology stage. And that apology stage keeps most victims trapped in abusive relationships. It's what kept me trapped. The, I'm so sorry, Michelle, I love you so much. I promise I will never hurt you again. And as a victim, believe it. And looking back now as a survivor under cycle of domestic violence, understanding the repetitive nature of how situations work in a domestic violence relationship. I, I now understand that uh, I was trapped because I wanted to believe him. I, I really yeah. did love him. I really uh, didn't want us to end and I wanted him to get the help he needed. And I blamed myself a lot. You know, I, I triggered him. I, I caused this argument or that argument. And um, a lot of those words stayed with me for a long, long time. And now I'm, I'm healed. But of course, there's things that come up that still cause PTSD, like um, anybody who has experienced any type of severity and trauma. And um, it's really just being able to, to look at it and overcome it and understand that the words that came out of his mouth were not true. Yeah. So at the point that he pushed you, was there already, because you said there's stages, there's the walking on eggshells. And then what was the second one? Uh, walking on eggshells and then a big blow up, okay, whether the, it's physical, sexual, emotional, and, and then, the then it's the apology stage. So was that considered the big blow up stage that he did that or was it already in the apologetic stage? Uh, that he did. That he pushed that you, he, that the first physical sign. Or does that start so off that, at the... That was, no, that, that was the abuse stage. So okay. prior to that, you know, I, I, he was emotionally manipulative and I walked on eggshells and I stayed quiet or I was timid. Um, I, 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 I think I had made a comment to him during lunch that really him. And then when we got back to the house, um, that's when he really lashed out. And then afterwards was walking on eggshells and apology. Like he, he really apologized profusely. Oh, I'm sorry. That won't ever happen again. I got really triggered. And so I believed him and didn't understand that it was going to continue, that it was a, that it was repetitive in a cycle. And um, yeah, so crazy. <laughs> yeah. So does this, is this something, those stages right there, is this clinically like the same across the board for any type of the abuse, whether it's verbally, you know, physically, sexually, emotionally, is that the same across the board or is it different depending on what area it goes into? Well, there's many facets to domestic violence. Uh, a lot of people believe that domestic violence is that physical abuse. However, emotional manipulation and control is a huge facet to domestic violence. Um, manipulation uh, really subdues a victim, really makes the victim feel like the abuser is really all he has, that um, the lies that he tells you are truthful. So it's a lot of the emotional, the physical, the sexual, of course, and then the financial. And the financial abuse, a lot of people don't really understand. But when somebody completely controls your finances, doesn't allow you to have a job, um, 
tells you where you can and cannot spend his money and um, enables, inhibits you really from, from getting any work or making your own money, then that's financial abuse. Yeah, yeah. Is that on the same lines of being a narcissist? So, yes. Um, you can be an abuser without being a narcissist. Okay. However, narcissism, it comes from power and control, right? It's the right. power and control. So narcissist is all about how can I subdue my victim in order for them to listen to me or be all about me and whatever I want. Now, abuse happens primarily because the abuser has an underlying pain. There's yeah. something going on there. Hurt people, hurt people, hurt people, hurt people. Exactly. Yeah. So there's uh, there's an underlying pain where they, they feel like that subconsciously they need to hurt another person in order to be back in power. So it's not mm. necessarily that all abusers are narcissists, but all narcissists are abusers. Gotcha. Gotcha. So at that point, he's apologetic about pushing you into the drywall. Of course, you said you went right into, I've got to patch this up. What happens from that point on? Does it, things get better? Do, do, what happened for you guys? So things didn't get better. So that was month four. So we'll say April, right? Um, just, no, not December, um, October, I received a severe beating. Uh, I was four hours, uh, bloodied and black and blue. And I, it was a walking on eggshells. It was an up and down between those months. And a lot of it was him telling me, you know, where I could and could not go, having me quit my job, um, buying me a car, but telling me I could only drive it during certain times. It, it, it was, it was, it was like I was living in a prison yeah. in a sense. Yeah. And then the severity of the October beating was really bad. Uh, I was strangled. I was um, chased uh, down the block, hair pulled. By the time he had realized what it was consciously that he was doing to me, I was literally covered in blood and black and blue. And um, he had held my hand that night, hoping that I wouldn't run away again. Because I tried to run during the midst of that beating. And he, um, I think he held my hand because he really wanted me to forgive him or pretend that it didn't happen. But the next morning I looked like I had just completed 10 rounds in a boxing match. So he looked at me and he just began to cry and he wasn't just crying. He was sobbing. I'm so sorry, Michelle. I'm sorry. I'll do whatever it takes. I love you so much. All of those words. And it was a very difficult transition from that point on for me. I did stay with him. He said that he would do therapy. He went into therapy for a little bit. I went into therapy for a little bit. Um, there was other times where he had physically assaulted me, one time where he assaulted me. And it was a lot of um, emotional abuse. Yeah. However, a lot of people ask me, you know, why did you stay? You know, because it sounds so bad. Of course. And my answer is that that was the best and the worst relationship I ever had. The best because you fall in love with somebody for good times. Yeah. We had a great time going to ball games together and laughing with one another and driving up and down the freeway, um, giggling and going to movies and throwing popcorn at each other and making love 
the in the warm rain in Mexico. You know, there was a yeah. lot of great moments, but when it turned bad, it turned really bad. Yeah. 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 Wow. Wow, I left you speechless. You you did. You you, you I did. did. <laughs> you know, because I mean, you know, for me on the abusive side, I was born into a family that my dad did that. I didn't have a choice to come or go. I, I mean, yeah, I could have ran away, but where was I going to go? Mm-hmm. As a seven, eight-year-old, nine-year-old, 10-year-old, 12-year-old, you don't think about shelters or adoption homes or, or things like that you, yeah. you, because you don't know. And I mean, this is mm-hmm. back in the 80s. You know, you were more scared to death to call the police than you were, you know, of living through it. So, I mean... Knowing and understanding, it's it's definitely hard for somebody on the on the outward side of, well, wh- why in the world did you not leave? Why why mm-hmm. you know? But knowing and understanding, you know, the the good like like you said, the good times. You know, yeah. remembering those good times, mm-hmm. and that's ultimately what you want is, hey, I, I who doesn't love throwing popcorn at a movie or making love in Mexico? Uh, you know, yeah. or driving right. down the freeway, jamming to music and having great, and Chris, cause ultimately we're creating memories, memories mm-hmm. that we want, memories that we want to be connected with, you know? And so at that point, did you, for him, cause you, you made the comments like he, it wasn't until you were bloody that he kind of like came to consciousness of knowing what had happened. Was he yeah. coming in and out of something? Was there something chemically going on in him that he would just flip and didn't know it? No. So I think a lot of uh, abusive comes from the subconscious, right? Okay. It's, they're not consciously abusing their spouse. They subconsciously are reacting to some pain that they're experiencing Makes within sense. themselves. Makes sense. Um, he drinking problem. So when he would drink too much, then that subconscious part of him would come to the surface more often. Yeah. It was still there when he was sober. Yeah. It just came to the surface more often when he was drinking. Right. So that night that I was bloodied black and blue that one night in October, he had drank to a point where he was pretty obliterated. But we were at a Halloween party and I was drinking with him. Yeah. And the, the part that the part that hurts the most is when I say he came to consciousness, he um, finally understood, finally realized what it was he was doing. Like there was a moment where he's just like, Oh my goodness. Um, And I think that was his consciousness being like, stop, you're going to kill her. And um, Mm. as scary as that sounds, of course, I'm happy that happened, but I also don't want to sit here and just blame the abuse. No, of so course. As much as much as I've gone through, as much therapy as I've gone through, um, as many experiences that I've had, and as many people that I, and individuals that I get to converse with and hear their stories, forgiveness was key for me. I had to learn to forgive him yeah. because, like you said, and like I said, at the same time, hurt people hurt people. Well, we have to forgive, and hope and pray that they get the help that they need yeah so it was a horrible situation for me however you can turn your lemons into lemonade today right i now get to stand on stages around the world share my story share my story of hope and survival um i was able to take my power back i sued him and i i I gained the strength again that i had prior to the the relationship 
Yeah. And I really do hope and pray that he has gotten some help. And if he has, then maybe he can be rehabilitated. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I'm glad you brought that up about forgiveness. You know, one of the things that, and, and this is something that kind of came to me in a podcast I just a few weeks ago, it was about the power of forgiveness. And I remember this was roughly about 2003 timeframe. So I'm already 22 years old, 23 years old, you know, have gone through, you know, living out of how, you know, living in home, you know, graduated high school, went off to uh, the Marine Corps and things like that. And I'm now back home. I was recalled back to active duty. So I'm back at my own hometown and I'm in church one day. Okay. Now in the midst of me growing up in an abusive family, we were all faith-based. We, I always make the joke. I said, my parents were, had their drug ministry. They drug us to church every time the doors were open. You know, we didn't miss a church service, but yet we still lived in that home more for my dad than of course my mom, because my mom was a victim as well. But I, I remember doing this. I remember at the end of a service one night, I went back, my dad is sitting um, in the very back of the church and I went to him and I just said, dad, I said, I don't know how to say this. And he's just like, well, go ahead and say it, son. You know? And I said, I want to let you know that I forgive you for what you did to mom and to all of us, you know, and the abuse. And, and in my mind, I'm thinking, oh, he's going to be apologetic. He's going to hug me. He's going to love me. He's at a different place. And his response was to me that blew my mind. He said, I didn't know anything else. Uh, and I'm like, uh-huh. what do you mean? How, how do you not know as an abuser that that's the wrong thing to do? You know, that was my first initial thing. And then of course I went and talked to a friend of mine right after I literally left being with my dad to go in to talk to somebody of, uh, of the same age. And he said, Joseph, you got to put yourself in his shoes. He was raised mm-hmm. that way. That's how he was taught to bring up children and things like that. And he never saw anything different. But what the realization that came to me, because it's a very powerful statement that when you talk about forgiving yourself, okay, but also forgiving mm-hmm. others, because it's, it's, a, it's a twofold thing, you know, is when we go to forgive others, we have to go and understand that what we say to them, we may not get the, the response that we want. Mm-hmm. And when I went to my dad and said, dad, I forgave you, I was expecting him to say, you know what, son, I, I'm so glad that you came to me. I'm so sorry. I love you and your mom and your brothers and sisters to death. I, I wish that would have never happened, but I didn't get that. Mm-hmm. And I believe there's a, there's, there's, there's a paradigm shift when it comes to forgiving somebody else. I forgive you for what you did, but then also forgiving yourself. Oh yeah. You know, because I mean, ultimately well, there's a lot of self blame in, blame in those situations. A hundred percent. You have to be able to forgive yourself because it's not your fault. Yeah. Ultimately, you know, when you said this is like when you start blaming yourself and of course with trauma comes shame, you know, because we're blaming or blaming and of course blaming, we start shaming things. We start shaming ourselves. you know, how do you help people? What kind of encouragement can you give people that maybe are where you were at in terms of being in this and in those, one of those stages to, or maybe they've gotten out. What's some advice that you can give some of the listeners? Yeah, definitely. Um, know that it's not your fault. So oftentimes I talk to men and women who believe that it was their fault that they got trapped in an abusive relationship. And I knew that in order to help them, they had to conquer that. They had to understand that it wasn't their fault. So we have a lot of programs that help you kind of identify 
Uh, we have a five-step system to help you overcome challenges. First is recognize what it is that you've gone through and then thoughts, feelings, words, and action steps to help you overcome. And uh, I can actually gift your audience, Joseph, um, a document, a downloadable document that can really help you. There's lots of pictures and everything. So it's very easily easy to get. Yeah. All you have to do is text the word UNITE, U-N-I-T-E, to 26786. Again, it's UNITE, U-N-I-T-E, to 26786. And you'll receive that downloadable document uh, to really help you overcome some challenges and understand that it's not your fault and you can recover. That's awesome. And while you were sitting there, text, I literally just did it and just got the response. So, <laughs> you know, I just encourage everybody to please go and do that. It's 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 free, you know. So, Michelle, in in the midst of everything, of course, you learned a ton through this. You mm -hmm. you you know. I thought, you know, when you, or when you said about this is the greatest and also the worst relationship, it's ultimately greatest, not just because of the things that you did or that y'all had great times, but also what you learned through it, you know, and, and there was a silver lining, yeah. right? That's a good way of putting it because I would never hope this upon anybody. Of course. Nor would I want to go through this again? There were times where I was really fearful for my life. However, God turns beautiful things turns broken pieces into beautiful things yeah. right that's the saying that i want and because and how he was able to do that we now get to impact so many individuals yeah. so unsilenced voices we not only work in ghana sierra leone and rwanda but we are expanding to the united states next year in a domestic violence awareness tour yes. so we're actually doing a kickoff of the tour in london on march 5th and then april 22nd it's our first day in the United States with an awareness event in Dallas. And then we're in four other cities um, after that. And we now get to give back. So partner with existing organizations that provide direct support to survivors within those cities, uh, be able to educate the community about what's happening about domestic violence, sexual abuse, and also human trafficking. Because unfortunately the, the way that victims stay trapped in human trafficking are very similar to the way that they stay trapped in domestic violence. And um, we really want to, to help those individuals. So if you're watching this and if you'd like some information, uh, we are going to be updating the website. So I think by the time this is actually released, um, we should have that done and updated. There are speaking applications for those of you who are survivors that would like to share your story. And then those speaking applications are also vendor applications. So if you have uh, different types of modalities for healing, whether it's traditional or non-traditional types of therapy, uh, if you're a police officer, if you are a case manager, if you are um, a lawyer and want to provide some pro bono legal assistance, we'd love to have you part of those events. Uh, we will, it will be a safe space for survivors, but it will be that platform so we can be able to provide those services um, so people can live an even happier, healthier life. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, and that website. I probably should give that website, yeah. right? <laughs> so unsilencedvoices.org is where you'll go. Again, it's unsilencedvoices.org. Amazing. So I've got a question for those that are out there listening. How would what piece of advice would you get if somebody has just now 
they're in the relationship, but let's just say the first thing happened or they find themselves walking on it. How, or let me, how does somebody avoid it first? Let's just ask that. How does somebody avoid getting in a relationship like this? Well, that's like asking somebody, how do you avoid a pothole on the road? It's very difficult to avoid that, right? Yeah. But the first step is recognizing the red flags. So that first step to seeing that pothole in the road is to open your eyes, right? See the pothole and then divert. Yeah. However, oftentimes people are already trapped in that relationship by the time they see right. where they are, right? So understanding the red flags, uh, whether those red flags are moving the relationship forward too quickly, um, watching the way that he or she, because domestic violence is not just man on women, but it can be woman on man as well, or LGBTQIA, you know, it can be all, all different facets of humanity. And um, just watch how they talk to servers and watch how they act when you go to ball games. Uh, ask their friends and family how they respond, how they interact. Use social media to do some investigation. We have a handy little thing called a cell phone these days to where we can just go on it and do research, yeah. right? Find out what other people have said. Google the person. That's the easiest thing to do. Google mm. the person, first and last name. This is before you even get trapped in that. Yeah. And then once you're trapped and you start to recognize those signs, the earlier you learn and try to escape, the better. The longer the relationship goes on, the more deadly it could be for you. So biggest question I think that, you know, if, if I was in this situation, I would ask is, I understand about getting out, but how, how do you go about getting out of something when, whether it's a fear for your life or even like you, the apologies keep coming and you want to believe you want to see the better uh, of the individual, but yet you're still the victim of it. How do you get out of something like this? What, what is the action step for somebody to take to get out? Yeah. So it's strategic planning. So on my part, I, I planned accordingly in my brain. I knew that there was something wrong and I knew I had to get out, but he was financially controlling me. I didn't have um, any assets. I had really no place to go. So I started making double payments on my car to make sure that by the time I left, I didn't have to make a payment for a while. I, um, I began to look up different shelters um, in the area and in and out of LA. So around where you live, that's where you should look up and then make sure to clear your cache on your computer. So a lot of people don't understand that, that abusers can go on and see where you've been unless you clear your cache on your computer. So that mm. is a huge tip when you're doing some research on how to escape. Um, and then reach out to some of these organizations. Let people know that you are planning a, an escape and you may need some help and um, reach out to some friends, some family members, so they know. And if you, you, if you don't want to reach out to family, you know, don't blame yourself. There are shelters and organizations out there that can help. Do you see a lot of people negate from reaching out because of they feel like this is only happening to them or nobody will help them? Well, it's, it's not necessarily that nobody will help them. It's that there's an embarrassment factor. Yeah. There is a factor of disbelief. Uh, for me, I didn't reach out for help. I didn't want people to know that I was in an abusive relationship. I was in denial that I was in an abusive relationship. I grew up in a strong, uh, uh, my mom was a strong, independent woman. I grew up in a, in a family where I was raised to be a strong, independent person. Yeah. And I got myself trapped in that relationship. And it was, um, you know, the disbelief that he's not going to change the, um, 
just not wanting to hurt him also, you know, because the more people reach out. So by the time somebody gets to the point where they're ready to talk about it and ready to escape, not many people might know about it. So that's the time where you can use your voice. And if you're not yet ready to really be vocal, like I'm very vocal about this now, um, really reach out to shelters and organizations for help. So uh, whether that's Unsilenced Voices, and we refer you to an organization within your city or town that helps with, um, you know, uh, legal helps with, um, um, you know, um, all kinds of different things, um, case management, housing assistance, childcare assistance, um, uh, you name it. Right. Yeah. So you can't get out. Yeah. You know, one of the things I have a question, one of the things that in our coaching program, um, we've got, you know, is a, is a pillar in terms of healing. And that's, that's ultimately finding someone to help and helping them. But how has sharing your story helped to bring healing to yourself? Because ultimately yeah, you're helping course. people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the more I talk about it, the more I heal. Yeah. So when I was writing and performing my 65 minute solo play, I was beating myself up on stage and people used to tell me it was therapeutic. However, you know, I, I didn't like to hear that back then. Now yeah. I look back and I, I totally understand that it was therapeutic. The more you talk about your situation, the more is released from your body, the more tension is released. If you hold on to feelings, adverse childhood experiences start to happen, mm. which are autoimmune disorders and uh, chronic diseases and fatigue, uh, chronic ailments that happen. So you have to learn to express yourself. And with the document that uh, I'm gifting to your, your people watching, your lovely people out there, um, they will be able to see that in the feeling section, you know, being able to express yourself, whether it's through writing therapy, traditional, uh, non-traditional therapies, things like that. Yeah, amazing. Um, what is a piece of advice that you can leave, just a nugget? And I know you have some, a tons of nuggets on your website and, and information, but for those that are listening, maybe driving into their car, besides texting Unite to 26786, did I say that right? <laughs> yes, you yeah, did. 26786, I should know by now. Um, besides that, for your free download and the gift that you're giving, what's a piece of advice that you can give somebody that may either be at the beginning, the middle, or the end of the situation that you've also found yourself in through domestic violence? So um, I like to end oftentimes with this quote. And if you've seen the movie Finding Nemo, there is a quote that Dora says, just keep swimming, just keep swimming. And I want to leave you with that because no matter if you are just beginning in the relationship in the middle or leaving, just keep going. There is nothing that can inhibit you enough to where you have to give up. Just keep putting one foot in front of the other. You can't escape. You're not alone. Just keep swimming. Amazing. Amazing. Michelle, share again your website where people can find you because you have coaching programs. Um, and of course, you know, Unsilenced Voices is a nonprofit. So I know you're always looking for sponsorships and things like that. But share how people can reach a can get a hold of you if they need help so there's multiple different ways so through the nonprofit, of course which is unsilencedvoices.org now the coaching programs and the uh, master class and digital programs that we offer 
are an LLC. So it's Michelle Jewsbury Speaks. And you can find that at unsilencemyvoice.com. Again, it's unsilencemyvoice.com. Awesome. Awesome. And guys, don't forget again, text to text the word UNITE, U-N-I-T-E, to 26786 and get your free gift that Michelle has. And Michelle, I can't thank you enough for sharing your story. You know, it's, you know, resonating with this, you know, I can't compare your pain to my pain because it's still pain, you know, but yet it's the pain that you went through and the things that you've learned in life through this. And it's just an honor to know you as a, a, a developing friend, so to say, you know, um, in, in this, but thank you for sharing your story and thank you for being vulnerable because it not only brings healing to so many people out there, but I also know it brings healing to people like myself as well as yourself. So thank you. Yeah. Thank you very much. Um, and just like you say, you know, turn your pain into purpose. Yes. Thank you so much, Joseph. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the purpose through pain podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please take a moment to share with a friend and leave a five-star review on iTunes. And don't forget to subscribe through your favorite podcast host so you won't miss a single episode. You're one step closer to finding true freedom and breakthrough.